Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning, Well family. My name is J.T. Larson. I'm a covenant community member here at The Well, and I am a co-shepherd of the Brentwood CG. Um, Yeah, Brentwood. I'll be reading from the book of Amos this morning, uh, chapter 4, 6 through 13. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not have rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. This is the word of the Lord. You want justice from God? I don't think you know what you're asking for. You may think the day you see God's justice will be a day of celebration, of joy. That perhaps God would ask you to be the spotter to his sniper, directing his aim everywhere you want justice distributed. But you are mistaken. God's justice is more like an avalanche. It will have the power of moving water, turning crevices into canyons. It will consume all people. You will not be able to escape it. It is his mercy that God doles out justice slowly, that we may one day repent. Maybe you think that since you go through some of the motions that God will be fooled. No, he looks at the heart. He's not tricked by your outward behavior, your Sunday best. You are on the same side of sin as everyone else. Before you go about asking for something like God's justice, get your heart completely aligned with his. Somebody said, mm, at the end of that. (laughs) Yeah, we go in there today. Uh, How are we, beautiful family? Good, good. Um, Hey, it's really good to be with you all. Um, I love y'all. I say that often, but I was gone last week, uh, and anytime I'm gone, even for like one week, I literally feel it, like I desire to be amongst the family. So um, I love y'all. Also, before we get going, I have a quick clarifier to make. Uh, At the end of my sermon last week, or two weeks ago, uh, I ended the sermon by saying, go blue. Um, As you can see, Michigan won the college football national championship. 
I knew I had some Michiganders in here, okay? Um, however, uh, because some of y'all do not watch college football, uh, apparently there were a few people who thought I was telling people to go vote Democrat. <laughs> y'all, um, which is just wild to me, all right? Like, in the midst of the sermon, I literally said that both parties are demonic. It's literally what I said. Like, they're both working towards evil at times. And then you thought that I would walk up at the end of all that and sneak it in at the benediction? Like, by the way, vote Democrat. Like, that's so weird, y'all. Okay, so uh, that's how you end up as a YouTube heretic, by the way. Uh, someone was trying to get me canceled. No. Um, yes, we ended up uh, winning. And praise God for that. I know that uh, Texas... We're talking about wrath today, so I got to start it off right, all right? Um, hey, we are in a uh, week eight or eight-week series, week three in the book of Amos. And so uh, the first week, we looked at how the book works and getting a general understanding of the idea of justice. Uh, last week, Jason helped us look at how we are probably a lot more like Israel than what we would like to think. We kind of try to dodge the reality, but we need a savior um, this week, I want to think about before we positively enact justice or before we uh, are tempted to negatively enact judgment, uh, we need to realize where we are with the Lord. Uh, yes, we need to be a people of justice, wanting wrongs made right, but we need to realize where we are with the judge first that we might receive and act with mercy. In fact, if you do not know how to receive mercy— if you do not realize the mercy that you have received from God, then our justice will very likely simply be judgment upon others. If we receive God's mercy, though, our justice will likely bring with it humility, which will also then be mercy for others or long-suffering to see something or someone change. And this will actually be what makes a difference in the world that we live in. Justice must marry with mercy. Remember, this is the year 2024 of our Lord, the year of an election. Things are likely to get crazy. How is it that we, in the midst of the chaos, not react emotionally, but how do we respond as the people of God should? Not how do we respond partisan like the American church has been tempted to do and like the nation of Israel continued to do. How is it that we actually enact the mercy and the grace, the justice of God? Uh, we need to do a little bit more foundation before we kind of launch off into thinking about how we enact justice. Uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to get into a bunch of individual topics, things like poverty or politics or lamenting injustice or spiritual abuse. There's a lot that we're going to be covering. But first, we have to get a handle on our own hearts with the Lord. Before we enact justice, we have to understand how God views injustice and what his response to injustice is so that we can respond like he does. If you do not know how God acts, then you are likely going to act how you think you should act and will likely be propagating injustice in that acting process. Y'all track him? Seeing how God responds to wrongs helps us receive God rightly, and helps us to imitate Christ in a way where we are able to become true ambassadors of him, of him to the world. And so last week, we looked at our need for mercy in the midst of sin, which we'll do some today as well. But we'll also focus on God's heart for humanity so that we can gain a similar heart like God does 
In other words, last week we were looking at sin from our perspective and our need, but today we want to look at it a little bit more from God's perspective. How does he view this? How do we respond like him? Make sense? Man, y'all are a little bit more talkative this morning. I like it. Maybe I should say go blue more often, all right? Um, Listen, many Christians are uncomfortable with the idea that God is a jealous God, uh, the judge of all the earth who will do what is right. However, even for those of us who have come to understand what that jealousy means and we are okay with this concept, we often think of God not wanting us to sin with regards to how it impacts our relationship with him only. When we think about sin, we think about our vertical hurt of God. However, all sin or almost all sin is also sin against our neighbor. And when it does this, it hurts them. And therefore, God cares about that response because God loves them. And that impacts our relationship with God as well. And so the fact that God would judge those who oppress others is an important concept in the midst of our understanding of justice. God does not care just about how we are responding to him. He also cares about how we are responding to his creation. We must love God and love neighbor as ourselves. Both of these are important. If we do not love God rightly, then it is really hard to actually care for God's creation. And so some of us wants to immediately move towards horizontal justice. And yet we, if we do not have a love from God, and if we do not receive God's love, then we are unable to love our neighbor with any greater strength than the love that we can produce within ourselves, which is a human type of love, not a divine type of love. You need to know how to receive love from your father in order to rightly love your neighbor. We need the love of God. But if we only receive the love of God, if we never ever extend that horizontally, if it only stays up in the clouds, we're missing a big piece of why God created humanity in the first place. Far from most people's picture of God, though, God's judgment is God longing for his people to rightly return to him and to walk rightly before him, not a desire to punish his people. Y'all with me here? God will judge evil. That is a very important concept. But at, and because at times you and I got to judge evil as well. But God also desires to give us mercy. Think about it like this. If he judges evil, if he responds always in justice, then evil does stop, but there is never good on its return. In other words, if God judges evil, guess what happens? That person dies, right? You see that in the flood. You see that in the ground opening up and swallowing people in the Old Testament. You actually see that at the death of humanity, there is God's judgment. And if that happens, then there is no more evil, but that's it. But if God gives mercy then what can happen is not only can it stop the evil, but it can begin to produce righteousness in the individual, which reverses the trend of evil and produces good in its stead. Think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was murdering the church and God would have been right to therefore kill him so that he stops killing the people that Christ purchased with his blood. Instead, God met that man with mercy, and then Paul was so radically changed by the mercy of God that not only did he stop killing Christians, he started making Christians and planting churches. 
Mercy is God's desire, and that must be our heart too. We must be able to blend the mercy and the justice of God. Now, God at this point in the story has been uh, wrestling with Israel for generations, asking them to return. And even in this section, you see some extreme amounts of mercy that God wants to extend. This idea is really important, so stay with me here. Uh, Many Christians, I believe, have falsely uh, stated or have this really bad theology that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God actually says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Israel, you are not consumed. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, talking about the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So either God of the Old Testament ended up changing at Jesus Christ and therefore God changed, making not just these verses a lie, but also making that really scary. Because what if God just decides one day to change while you're in heaven? What if he's like, I'm kind of done with this, you out of here, right? That would be scary. Or God has always been the same. Think about it like this. The New Testament that you read was written over a period of about 30 to 40 years. The Old Testament that you read was written over a period of about 6,000 years. And so, yes, indeed, you do see some of God's justice being enacted in the Old Testament, but don't you see the exact same thing in the New Testament? Like, remember Ananias and Sapphira who lied and then, boom, they're dead? Like, is that not God's swift judgment and justice? The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. God has been wanting to show grace and mercy over and over and over again. He created a whole sacrificial system by which your sins can be atoned for. God waited for generations to execute judgment. He called people back to him over and over and over again. Your God that you serve has always been a merciful God. We just see his mercy in fullness at Christ. We see the full picture of it there at Jesus. So yes, at times, God does enact justice swiftly because sometimes there's great danger that can be done if God doesn't execute judgment. But the normal pattern of God is his mercy. And that's true in your life as well. And I thought that'd be at least one amen in here. The normal pattern of God is mercy. And this is important because if we read Amos isolated, then we're tempted to either have a bad picture of God and therefore wrongly worship him or a bad picture of God and therefore wrongly act like him towards others. And we were too quick to carry out judgment upon others because that's how we read the scriptures. God desires to show mercy. At this point, he's been trying to get Israel's attention for literally generations If you look throughout the scriptures, multiple kings have passed, all of them committing all sorts of idolatry, creating gross acts towards humanity, and God just keeps trying to call them back to himself. God is trying to get their attention, and for decades and generations, they were wilding, y'all, right? They out here looking like a P. Diddy party, okay? Um, (laughs) A couple of y'all caught that. Let's dive into sex, okay? Uh, Amos is switching topics here really clearly because he goes from Samaria in chapter 4, verse 1, to Bethel and Gilgal in chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, which we'll cover today as well. Um, Both of these locations, Bethel and Gilgal, have really deep theological significance. Uh, And if you uh, have time to go study it, I would encourage you to go look at it. We don't have time today, but it will make this make even that much more sense. 
But there's all this history that's wrapped up in these locations where they are going and they are kind of practicing this sin. Now remember, Amos is prophetic literature. In week one, we talked a lot about the prophetic and how we can make this work in our lives. And then I hopped on IG Live and tried to explain literature and Osaki made fun of me. Okay? Uh, But today, there's a ton of literary design that I will try not to bore you with, but if you're a Bible nerd or a literary nerd, you're probably going to be really excited about Amos's artistic expression to try to get Israel's attention here. Uh, Amos is the Kendrick Lamar of the Minor Prophets. Okay? Um, God in this section, what he's doing is he's threatening to bring about judgment upon Israel after decades of there being no response to him. Look at the literary design, in fact, of this book. It is broken up into three sections. In uh, verses four and five, God is calling Israel to worship Psyche. He's actually calling them to come and sin some more. We'll read that some more. The second section is a rebuke of Israel for their lack of remorse and their lack of repentance. And then the third section is a call to praise God, the creator, and it is a meeting with their God. Now, section one has with it seven imperative verbs. Uh, The section is also divided into seven lines, and there are three words in each of the Hebrew lines. Now, there's more than three words in English because we are wordy type of language, all right? But in Hebrew, there are three words in each, and then a longer one in verse 5. Seven is a really significant number, uh, perhaps the most important number even in the Hebrew culture. Seven represents wholeness or completion, which we'll talk about in a second about how this makes sense in Amos' literary design. In section two, then, there is a narrative of these seven plagues of Israel, Each plague, God was trying to get Israel's attention and help them not to sin. In other words, he tried fully or he tried completely, seven. He tried to fully get their attention, but they were completely oblivious to what God was doing. There are five stanzas in these plagues with a five-fold recurring refrain that you probably heard as JT was reading, yet you did not return to me, says the Lord. Section three is in a five-line hymn with five participles describing the actions of the Lord. Five, you guessed it, is likewise really important because five represents God's law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And it represents either power and strength or grace and mercy. That's really important and you gotta hold on to that till the end of the sermon today, okay? It represents either power and strength or grace and mercy. I told you he was getting nerdy. Y'all ain't know a kid from Detroit knew how to read poetry, huh? All right. Um, Let's break apart each section real quick. See how this is relevant for our lives and for our series. Leviticus chapter 19 verses 5 through 8 gives these instructions to the priests about what they are to do when they come into the temple of God. There are these priestly instructions and what it is is a call to worship. We actually do really similar things in our liturgy today. You heard Frank say, hey, for our call to worship today, I want to focus us on these scriptures. And so the Hebrews also had this call to worship, and there was this refrain that they used over and over and over again. Amos uses almost identical language here when he says, come to this place, but rather than calling them to worship God, Amos calls the priests to come on in and sin. It's like, oh yeah, you like that sin, don't you? 
Come on, right? Send some more is what he's saying. Come, multiply your transgressions. We love when you do this. Go ahead and come and send some more. Amos sounds kind of like a black granny here. My granny would be like, oh, oh, you, oh, go ahead, go do that again. Yep, do that again. And you knew the next step was you getting a whooping, all right? All right? Amos sounds a little bit more like Lil Wayne encouraging people to sin than like a prophet of God, right? It's like, what is happening here? Well, this parody is meant to shock the reader into listening. Because when you're used to hearing a call to worship, you're ready to worship God. And now you're hearing the exact same phrase. And it's like, yeah, go ahead and sin. Israel was being all spiritual, but they were missing the Holy Spirit. Some of y'all missed it. You could be doing tons of spiritual practices and not be walking in the spirit of God and therefore miss the very spirit of those practices that you're doing. Right? Like, like the practices that God sets up is meant to help our hearts fall more in love with him, not to fulfill some religious duty so that we feel good about ourselves while sin is occurring within us or around us. When we act like we care about the songs that we sing, but then we go to CG and somebody needs a little bit of grace or mercy and we skirt right around them, are we sure those songs are actually doing what they're meant to do? Are we sure we're responding the way that God desires us to respond? These dudes are looking real spiritual, y'all. Like, look at the text here. These cats ain't just giving 10%. They're giving every three days, which I did the math. That equates to they're tithing 33% of their money. Shoot, that'd be nice, right? But God's like, hey, your heart isn't in it. So therefore, I don't want it. And so even with that joke, I'm like, actually, that wouldn't be nice. We don't want it either because that can be tempting. No wonder why the priests are totally fine with the people doing all of this wickedness because the people are kind of paying them to keep their mouths shut and they're no longer responding to the injustice of the world around them. They're literally getting fed off of this, y'all. In fact, if you look at the text, it mentions some of the the sacrifices that were being made, some of the offerings. Each of the ones that are being made are offerings where the people and the priests got to eat together. Do you know the ones not mentioned there? It was the sin offering, which actually went before the Lord and the whole thing got consumed, meaning you got none of the, the fruits of it. They are literally only practicing things that benefit them. Hello. And how many times do we not really want to go to church because it doesn't really benefit? Come on, y'all. Are we sure that we're not a little bit more tempted to fall into this as well? Are we sure that we're not a little bit more like Israel than we think, like we talked about last week? Notice here, your, over and over and over again, which carries with it the sense that they're doing this for their own religious impulses instead of being genuine gifts to God. In fact, that word proclaim there can also be translated as announce, which one commentator that I read this week, uh, M. Daniel Carroll R., which why this man has an initial at the start and the end of his name, I don't know, all right? Uh, But he comments here at this. He says, announce as a synonym for proclaim emphasizes the self-centered and self-promoting tenure of the practice. This activity is to be done in public so that all may see and applaud their religiosity. And here's the thing. All this man-pleasing that they're doing is blinding them from realizing that they are totally out of touch with the heart of God. What about us? Do you really care about this? 
here, right? Like the people around you. Like God actually wants our hearts because he loves us and wants us to know his love and desires good for us and desires good to be happening through us. God is desiring for good to come into the world, not just for us to feel good and then go to heaven when we die. Like checking a box makes a mark in the world that we live in. God actually wants things to change around us, y'all. There's a desire for justice, for mercy, for people to recognize the love of God and religiosity doesn't aid that. In fact, it hurts it. Y'all feel what I'm saying in all this? Let me be a little bit more plain. Religiosity can blind us even from our own sin, so much so that we might even be doing injustices, perhaps even in our spiritual practices, and we don't even see it. And because the offering looks good, it must mean that we're good. This happens a lot, even in like prosperity gospel circles in churches where it's like the tides are growing and the buildings are growing and the team is growing. Therefore, it must be good. Are we sure it's good, saints? We need to see the heart behind everything. Growth is good. God wants his kingdom to expand and grow, yes and amen, but is it growing in the right way? Because if it's growing towards sin, then we're not actually advancing the kingdom of God. In fact, we're hurting it as we see in this text. So God is essentially saying here, I've tried to warn you over and over again, but you haven't listened. So when he says, go on and go ahead and sin, what he's saying is, I'm just gonna give you over to your sin now. And this is so scary, y'all. There's a theological term called passive wrath and another one called active wrath. Active wrath is when God actively disciplines you when you are in sin. You feel the wrath of God. You feel the punishment of God. God disciplines those he loves, Hebrews 12 would tell us. Passive wrath, according to Romans 1 and 2, is when you no longer really feel conviction over your sin because God just gives you away to your sin. He's tried to get your attention over and over and over again, and you've hardened your heart so much so that you don't even feel convicted about the things that used to once make you feel weighty. And that is scary, y'all. <clears throat> Active wrath is really merciful because it's God trying to get your attention. Passive wrath is scary because you might even think that you're walking in favor, not realizing that you're walking in failure, and each failure is actually adding up to your judgment, but you don't even see it. Y'all listen, uh, let me give a pastoral note here. If you don't feel convicted over your sin, you should be very concerned. God put a compass in every single human's heart, whether you're a Christian in here or not. So when you feel like you're in wrong, that's God reminding you, yet yeah, things aren't aligned the way that they should. And when you no longer feel wrong for the sin that you're doing, might you be in passive wrath where sin's deceitfulness has so tricked you that you end up following sin instead of following God. And then all of a sudden you're so far down in the pit, you don't know how to climb back out. Family, that's what passive wrath does. Active wrath is a grace of God. When you feel the weight of sin, that is not God's judgment, that's God's mercy because you know what you could do with that weight of sin? You can come to Christ and he forgives you. He cleanses you, he gives you mercy. New mercy every morning is what God desires to give us. And so when God was recently like calling out the American church, was that God's active wrath perhaps? Was that God trying to wake up the church around us and go, man, the things that are happening are kind of strange and weird. Let's wake up. Maybe that's God's mercy upon us. This is what God is doing here. Then he goes into section two. 
God is like, hey, listen, historically, I've done all of these things to try to get your attention. Verse six begins with the transition. Verse five, remember, they brought all these ties. They brought all this stuff in order to uh, satisfy Yahweh, to, to meet their spiritual quota. And God's like, hey, thank you for bringing that to me. Now I want you to see what I brought to you. I gave you disaster, trying to bring about repentance. Pay attention to what God is doing in your life, saints. Verse 10, God says, hey, you're like the new Egypt now in the Exodus story. You know the people that I freed you from? They were the oppressors. Well, now there's poor all around you and you ain't doing nothing about it. Now there are people crying out all around you and you ain't doing nothing about it. You know, when Jesus flipped over tables in the, in the New Testament, remember, same God, God doesn't change. The reason that that drew out Jesus's anger was because there were Gentiles that were longing to worship God, but the religiosity stopped them from being able to receive God. And God gets angry at that, y'all. God desires people to come into relationship with him. And he's like, what you're doing right here is you're acting like Egypt and nobody will come in relationship with me when you act like that. They're doing all this religious practices thinking that they are right with God. Are they sure this is the heart of God? Because y'all, when we do religious practices, but don't have the heart behind it, when we don't act out the ways of God, then people usually turn away from God and end up rejecting God, you know, the whole deconstruction movement. And usually what that happens is, is God is trying to fight for justice for his people, at times even for the oppressed, and yet they end up turning away from God, the very God that wants to fight for them, but they turn away from God because the people of God don't show them the heart of God. How we act is important, saints of Christ. It should be the church that's fighting for justice. But how can you fight for justice when you're missing God's heart for justice? And if you don't see God as patient and merciful, then you will move towards judgment and that will also hurt people as well. Do y'all see why this is so relevant? We need justice and mercy. Amos is essentially saying in section two, hey, look to the past. You have had all these setbacks and failures. Might God be trying to wake you up and get your attention? These seven plagues, the, you have had complete failure and I've had complete activity to try to get your attention. And say in your life, maybe you've had a season of setbacks and failures. Now, some of that might be Satan trying to attack you, no doubt. We have an enemy in the world around us and we've talked about that. Some of it might just be the brokenness of the world that we live in, y'all. And God wants you to lament that because God also meets you in your lamentation. God might even just be wanting to mourn with you if you're in a season of setback and failure. But sometimes maybe God is trying to wake us up that we might come to him in purity, to show love for him in purity, so that you might love your neighbor with purity. This might be what God is doing. So verse 12, all these other instances we mentioned were indirect. <clears throat> there were plagues, things that were happening around them. But now God's gonna get Israel's attention because he loves them. So God's ready to meet with them directly. This is scary, y'all, <clears throat> right? In fact, like chapter four, uh, verse two, right? Yeah, it says that the Lord has sworn by his holiness. Hello, if that doesn't make your heart at least a little, 
Like God's yeses are yeses and his noes are noes. And when he says, I swear by my holiness, now be ready to meet with me face to face is what he says here. He's like, oh, we gonna meet face to face, right? Like one, two, meet me outside, meet me outside. Knock if you buck, right? And yet, yet, this is so gracious if you know the heart of God. Listen to me, saints. God is not trying to punish them. He is trying to bring grace upon them. Now you'll notice here, verse 13, there are five participles to introduce Yahweh, which is very clearly a counterpart to the fivefold indictment in uh, 6 through 12. In chapter, verses 6 through 12, there were five plagues. Now there's five verbs to describe who Yahweh is. God is powerful, yo. Scary, right? Like notice, he can create these crazy mountains is what this is, or he could turn the morning into darkness. In other words, he can create things or he can decreate things. Like, you know, when it's supposed to be light in the morning, he's like, yeah, I can undo all of that because I did it in the first place. God can create all of this stuff and minister to you or God could totally undo you if he desired to. The Lord of hosts is his name. This means the God of all the armies of the angels in heaven. You know, there's an angel in the Old Testament that killed 186,000 people in one night. A host of heaven is thousands of these types of angels. And God says, I have legions and legions of them. Like God is powerful, not just himself. He controls power all around him, which could be extremely scary or extremely comforting. It just depends on if he's fighting for you or if you are fighting against him. Now, can we get nerdy for a second? Thank you. Stay with me here. This section here is a chiasm. What a chiasm is, is a poetic tool specifically used in Jewish literature to try to emphasize a verse. The way it works is you'll say something, it's like A, B, C, D, C, B, A. The A's correlate, the B's correlate, the C's correlate. That means that the D is the emphasis of this verse. This is happening here in this section. Notice there's mountains on the top and then there's heights on the bottom. There's your A. Notice too that God is the one that actually creates and he also makes, there's your B. Meaning the emphasis is on this verse here. Now can I ask an honest question, y'all? With all these plagues, all this judgment, um, God being like, prepare now to meet your maker. Doesn't this verse seem a little bit out of place? It's like, I know what you're thinking. That's like, okay, <laughs> right? Like after all of this, like he's like, I'm going to meet with you face to face and I'm gonna tell you what you're thinking. Like that seems a little bit out of place. Well, in Hebrew, it is kind of weird because it can indeed be translated like that, that God declares to man what is his thought. Or in the Septuagint, the, the Greek writing of the Old Testament because the Hebrew is really, really weird, and because the emphasis is on verse C, when a Jewish reader got to that, it was these confusing words that aren't normally used. So it could totally be translated like this, or it could be translated like this. And I announce to men the Messiah. Come on, y'all. Gospel point. Our sins ruin God's creation. It knocks us out of relationship with God. 
And even when God tries to get our attention, we often ignore it or we turn spiritual thinking that our spirituality can appease the wrath of God. This deserves God's judgment and we will indeed get it unless God announces to us the anointed one, the Messiah, the savior who could take away the judgment of God and place it upon himself and give us mercy and grace instead. Remember earlier when I said that five represents God's strength and his power or his grace and his mercy? Well, in Jesus, these meet. If God must declare to you your thoughts, then that means that you're probably meeting the strength and the power of God, and that's a scary thing. But if God is announcing to you the Messiah, and if you receive the Messiah, then what you receive in that process is God's grace and mercy, and you are redeemed, family. And how we respond to the announcement of the Son is what is determining what it is that we shall get. If we accept Jesus as our Savior, then family, all of the judgment that God desired or needed or was righteous to pour out, that all that we, if we're honest, we deserve, all of it falls on Christ. And he willingly becomes a sacrifice on our behalf. As we turn our religiosity into our benefits, Jesus pays for that. As we in the middle of worship songs are more concerned with people around us, what they think and what we act, and we're wanting people to look at us rather than look at God, Jesus pays for that. As we go on about and feel no shame for our sin, Jesus desires to pay for that. No matter what it is or no matter where it is that we find ourselves, if we hear the announcement of the Messiah and receive him, Jesus pays for your sin, saints. This is good news. Jesus, though the perfectly spiritual one, he was treated on that cross as if he was a mocker of God. As mocking is hung up above Jesus's very head, he is considered a mocker so that we who mock God with our cheap in Christianity might receive his mercy. The Son of Man placed, faced the plagues of God's wrath so that rather than meet God's punishment, we might receive God's mercy. Jesus, saints, is the Lord of hosts, by the way. You do know that, right? Like all throughout the Old Testament, there would be this person that comes that's called an angel of the Lord that is leading all of the heavens of the Lord. And in Revelation, we see Jesus is the one that leads all of the host of heaven and he is coming to destroy, except for those who believe in him. Jesus comes and redeems instead, and you get put on the very armies of God to co-labor with God, even in the judgment of the demons of the world. Do you know that you will judge angels, Paul says? Do you see how redemptive this grace of God actually is? If we have accepted him, despite the fact that we deserve to be separated and punished for all the injustice that we do on earth, we receive life. This is the gospel of God, told even in the book of Amos. God, ready to give mercy, despite us reading a whole chapter of why we should receive judgment. And friend, maybe God has been trying to get your attention for a while. Maybe you've come in here today and maybe you've stopped feeling the conviction of your sin, but for whatever reason the Spirit drew you in, maybe God's trying to show you, I want you to receive my mercy. I don't want to punish I don't, want to, I don't want to execute judgment. I don't want to hold you accountable for all the mess-ups that we've had. And you know, y'all, we can tend to kind of downplay sin, right? But y'all, sin has ripple effects that really hurt people for generations to come. It would be right to receive God's judgment for. Think about something simple like Abraham lying about his wife, Sarah. In that lie, he ended up getting an Egyptian servant as the reward for his lie, 
A couple chapters later, uh, Abraham actually sleeps with that Egyptian servant, has Ishmael. Ishmael becomes this, this person that leads forth all of this rebellion against Israel and against the nations and ends up actually being the creator, if you will, of the Muslim faith. They believe that Ishmael was the promised son of God, meaning that Abraham's one lie has actually created a massive false religion in the world today. Are we sure that our sin doesn't have ripple effects, y'all? God will be right to judge us for that. And yet God wants to give us mercy. And if we receive him, we receive the mercy of God. We're counted as if we've never done any of the sins. We're literally forgiven and freed and made new and made whole. And like the apostle Paul can now work back justice into the world around us. This is the very heart of God. God wants you to accept him. And maybe today you choose to place your faith in Jesus. Maybe God's been calling you and he wants you to receive his mercy today. Now you may ask as we begin to close, um, what does this have to do with justice and mercy? <laughs> right, like what is all this? Family, when you realize that now in Christ you've been forgiven, you've been given mercy, you've been given grace, that should be the very motivator that compels us to bless others. Mercy motivates mercy and movement, which motivates change. Um, Self-righteousness motivates selfishness and sin. If we receive mercy, then we will give mercy and be motivated to make sure that others receive mercy. Hear what I'm saying to you, saints. If you're trying to muster up justice on your own, that is a limited supply, that gas will run out on you in about a year. But if you actually receive the mercy of God, if you remember what God has redeemed you from, if you're honest about where you are before God and yet you heard the announcement of the son and you received him, that mercy will be motivation until you see him face to face. It will spur you toward loving good deeds. It will be the right foundation so that we actually execute justice in the world. Before we begin to talk about how we do it, we must know where we are with God. We must have the right foundation. But if we have the right foundation, saints, then God will mend all the brokenness of the world. And listen to me, not only will he mend the brokenness of the world, even if the things around you keep breaking, you know your savior. You know that no fruit done in him will ever go unrewarded. You know that no word of his will ever fall void. You know that even if you are struggling all throughout earth, you will meet your maker face to face, prepared to meet your maker. You will, but we will see him in mercy. We will see him in love as God desires to give us. Church family, if you see yourself rightly, you will see God rightly. You will be the person of Christ to others. So what might God be calling you to mend? Maybe you uh, want to be somebody that heals marriages. Yes and amen. Maybe you want to go to the nations. You see all the injustice of people who don't even know the message of God. Yes, go, saints. Maybe you want to see racial reconciliation or, or foster care and, and you want to do adoption or I named a bunch of stuff in week one. But if you see this right, it'll be motivation for the long run. So will we forever be a church who sees our need for God, who moves out of that mercy of God and then from that mercy, may we bless others in the world around us. Amen. I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray together.
Holy Father, we thank you. We bless you. Jesus, we receive you right now as our God. In fact, Christ, I just pray in faith that every single person that is coming to our gathering this morning would receive you as the Messiah. For us who have received you dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of times over our life, would we receive you again, Jesus, as our Messiah, the one who can save? Would we feel your new morning mercies where we felt guilty at the start of the sermon for hearing all of our sin and thinking, may we feel your grace now that we've remembered you. Would we realize that you are a God that desires to give mercy? I pray that each person will receive your mercy today. That they would know no matter what sin they did yesterday or this morning that you can forgive. That as they respond to the announcement of your son, you give mercy. God, I pray that everybody who doesn't know you as son, would they receive your mercy? Friend, Jesus wants relationship with you. I pray that you would receive him into your heart today. And God, I pray for every one of us that from that reception, that would be the motivation of how we do justice in the world around us. We love you, Christ. We thank you for being the same yesterday, today, and forever. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.